Would you turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would bless your word to our soul this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've said a lot about this passage already in the last week that we were here concerning biblical psychology that God God intends to guide us through toward through trials toward the foreseeable and promised good and that God's intention is that we should forsake that which is evil and tend or trend toward and pursue that which is good. And James is telling us here in these verses that there is birth and life and death in the trials of temptation. Some people will make excuses about temptation. We hear James expressing that, that, well, God tempted me to sin. Because if God is sovereign over all circumstances, surely God is sovereign over my the temptations that beset me. And surely God did it. And surely God made me the way that I am. And therefore, because I yield to sin and I've made a mess of my life, and this is the these are the predilections of my flesh, therefore God is the author of that which I yield to and which I love. And James is saying, well, no, that's not the case. Surely God is sovereign. Yes, God made you the way that you are. Yes. But the inner desires of your heart have led you in the direction in which you have gone. The sins that you have embraced have flowed out of the inner desires of your own heart. Yes, God has sovereignly moved in your circumstances, but God's calling God's command is that you deny sin and lean toward that which is good and pursue it with all your being there are many different types of temptation uh, there are innocent ones uh, seemingly so I- I'm highly tempted by ice cream uh, I love ice cream but it's not so good for me but I love it but it's not so good and yet there are other temptations that beset us, temptations to murder someone, temptations to, to cut someone off and do them bodily harm with our vehicle when they anger us on the road. Sometimes my family and I talk about such temptations, but we don't yield to them. There are temptations to look a little longer at the person who seems to attract our eyes so very much. There are seductive personalities all around us. There are 
many, many uses of our phones and to the, technolo the technology that we have so readily at our fingertips. You don't need to go into the store to buy a pornographic magazine or a movie. Now you have it readily at your fingertips. Temptation is extraordinary. It is everywhere, and people advertise it all the time. The temptation is that you need this next thing, you need that new car, simply because it will make you sexier. Temptations are there all around us, and the evil one knows how to tempt us by that which is tempting. And he knows the inner desires that we have. For some of us, drinking is, and the consuming of alcohol holds, holds no temptation whatsoever. For others of us, lust really is not an issue for us. And yet, alcohol is. We all differ. There are many different things. And temptation doesn't simply deal with what we consume or what enters in at the eye gate or the mouth gate. But there are temptations in our own heart to hate. Temptations to, to lie, temptations to pull ourselves in any way means or means to get us out of our circumstances that are difficult. There are many different types of temptation. Temptations to forsake God, to go our own way. Temptations to assume that we have the strength to stand in any given day. Temptation to consider ourselves more highly than we do others who are around us in the body of Christ. James tells us something more about temptations here this week in this passage, and he did last week as well. And we said that this passage breaks down into the three things. What God gives to a person, the character of God is not tempted by evil. And thirdly, we did not deal with the third point, what we are and how we come to be tempted well, we said a great deal last week about God who is at work in all the business of trials and his intention to teach us endurance, to impart blessings. Who God is, that he's a promising God. He's worthy of our love. He welcomes and recognizes our love of him. He only gives good things. He's the source of all good things. He doesn't change or shift or vary. He exercises his will freely. He is sovereign. He has made us. We are his people. He speaks to us in a, his word his wisdom can help us when we are tempted. And therefore we come this week to what we are. What we are. We are three things. What we are. We are an excuse-making people, aren't we? We are an excuse-making people. James gets to the inner workings of the inner enticement to sin from the outward circumstantial trial. Temptation. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, pray in the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I'll get back to that thought in a moment. We all know people who say, well, they make excuses for people who are caught in temptation. Well, they're a carnal Christian. They're a carnal Christian. There's a pastor who has long pastored a, the, the International, International House of Prayer. They've been praying nonstop 24-7 for the last... Uh, well, the last 25, four, almost five years, apparently this man has been caught in credible, credible accusations against him concerning sexual sin in the church. It seems every week there is someone, every week there is someone who has pastored a congregation and who is caught in sin. And sometimes the excuse is, well, they're just carnal Christians. They're really Christians, 
but they're worldly Christians. They're Christians caught in sin. But I'll tell you, this is something that we need to embrace and realize that maybe you have never had this explained to you. But if someone is living in a, in a, in a worldly way, fully embracing sin, even though they are professing faith in Jesus Christ and they are caught in such sins as this, they're no Christian at all. Individuals who have never had the light of the gospel within them, outwardly obeyed for a time, seemed like Christians from the outside, but eventually the charade falls down. And all can see that there's no change in them, inside of them, in their heart of hearts. They fell because they were enticed by their own desires, carried away by their wanton lusts. This pastor has pastored a church for 25 years ceaselessly praying, a man sweetly speaking of Jesus, and yet living unchecked a life for 25 years, embracing the abuse of his people. How can we say that man is a believer? Well, such a person might say, well, what could I do? God brought this trial upon me. He tempted me. He allowed this to happen. This is the way he made me. This is his fault. Didn't Eve and Adam say that? Lord, the woman you gave me, she gave to me and I ate. The serpent gave and told me that it would make me well and wise. If every trial or temptation is a test of the authenticity of faith, issuing forth a call to endure and mature and make progress in godly wisdom and increase in the knowledge of God, then, then didn't they abandon that calling in order to embrace the suggestion to give up and to pursue their own lusts? Isn't their life a demonstration that lust and their desires were more important to them than Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Our embrace or rejection of the opportunities of sin, that is who we are. How easily we can sit with sin, how long we can go without repenting, how long we can go making excuses for the ways in which we have embraced the world, that is who we are. We are often an excuse-making people, and I urge you this morning, if if that's the case with you and you're living a life privately that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, recently there was a man who is a pastor in a Baptist church in a small community. It was sent to me, this information, that this man turns out to be cross-dressing and people who are professing faith in Christ and even the pastor himself said, what I do privately doesn't disconnect me from, from who I am publicly as your pastor. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. What you are privately is who you are. And so we often are excuse-making people, and it, it frightens me the amount of Christians who are self-identifying Christians who make excuses for sins. We must not do that. We must acknowledge our sin before God. We must confess our sins. And if we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Don't make excuses for it. Go to God and receive justification and pardon. The second thing is that we are a desire-filled people. There's a dangerous correspondence between temptation and personal lust. While there's an unending siren's call in the world to sin, there's an equally powerful and ever-present desire within us to sin. And if you're not convinced of that, you are deluded. You do not know yourself. This ever-present internal desire is not authored by God. It comes from within me. It comes from the corruption that I have inherited from Adam. It comes by my sin nature, such that there are desires of every kind within me. Uh, John Calvin, I think it was, that said, our hearts are a veritable idol factory, that the seeds of every sin are right in there. How can we condemn others? When we acknowledge this very fact, the seed of every sin is present in me. The desire for every known sin is right in there. And all it needs is to respond to the siren call of the outside influence of Satan who tempts us to sin, who's behind every temptation to sin. Satan's behind them all. We can't blame him because we ourselves have our own natural desires that flow out of our sin nature. And this ever-present internal desire is not authored by God. It comes from within me. It is me. The argument of Romans 7 is, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are wretched people filled with wretched desires, contrary to to the nature and holiness of God. And the Holy Spirit, if we are truly a child of God, is continually and always making daily warfare to reform us according to the word of God. Oh, thank God for that. Because if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we would not in any way take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and fight the great fight that is ever before us. Our nature is polluted Our desires are contrary to the nature of a holy God. Desires are present within us that need the washing of regeneration, the renovation of sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit, the constant vigilance of the child of God, because we are so easily drawn away, lured and enticed. Yes, we are easily enticed, easily lured to sin. And we will look for any excuse to explain it. There is no way, dear friends, that we can trust our internal desires. No way. There is within us a deep well of dominating and alluring desires, and the end of the process is death. The quieting of our conscience, the deadness to God's compelling spirit, departure from the word of God, shame leading us to forsake the Lord. Shouldn't we constantly be crying out, Lord, do not let my conscience be seared by my sin. Give me tenderness of heart that I might continually weep over my sin, even the smallest of sins, knowing they offend my Savior who has given himself for me. O Lord God, let my conscience not be seared by sin, constantly engaged in my heart, but free me from my desires, cause there to be a disconnection between myself, my inner desires, that which remains of that pollution, though my nature is being continually and daily renovated by the Holy Spirit, There is corruption that remains. Lord, deliver me from this body of death. 
Lord, heal my disease. My embrace of sin, forgive me. The third thing that we learn about ourselves is that we are encouraged to be, according to James, a pleading people. We are encouraged to be a praying and pleading people. He is eager, God is, to test our faith, to teach us endurance for our good. But he does not test us, according to Scripture, beyond what we can bear. He always provides a way out of the temptation. You can't say, this is the way he made me. I have no power. Surely, if you're a child of God, he has promised that he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. But there's always a way out. The problem is we don't look for the way out. Sin feels good in the moment. Sin delivers on its promise. But then it yields that bitterness, that destruction of self that we feel so much afterwards. You know, they say with diets, it's so very much easier to gain weight than it is to lose the weight that has been gained. It's the same with sin. It's so very easy to embrace the feel and the immense and immediate gratification of sin. It is so very much harder to extricate ourselves from that sin and to, and to remove its influence from our lives. It's so much easier to just simply go right back to it. And so we should be a pleading people, praying continually to plead with God to lead us in his way, to lead us into all truth, to enable us to walk with truth and righteousness in the way everlasting, toward his good and away from evil. Psalm 141 is about this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. Do not let me eat of their delicacies, for my eyes are toward you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, from the snares of those who would do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. The Lord Jesus spoke to this, and we prayed in this very way this morning, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one specifically. Remember what James has said in verse 13, verse B, or section B. Do not let you say when he do not let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. We are tempted by the evil one. God does not tempt men and women to sin. To do so would make him a capricious God. He can't act contrary to his holiness, his his very nature. The many scriptures that command us to flee from sin and temptation, uh, the Bible's filled with them. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. James 4.7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Matthew 26.41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Colossians 3.2, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You see, it's not all about sexual immorality. It's about our love of money. It's about our love of ease. It's about our love of things that are good for us, but we eat, we partake too much of. It's about embracing wet rest when we should be working. It's about being lazy when we should be faithful and 
hardworking. The nature of this request is to teach us that we will face temptation, that God permits us that we will face temptation, that God's purpose is that we would learn to flee from sin and not sin, and that we would learn endurance. You know, it's, it's kind of like a hiker, a hiker who has a goal of reaching the, an upper destination, the destination of a place of beauty and rest. The trek is fraught with difficulty and dangers and perils and possible injury of exhaustion, even moments of complete failure or an actual injury that may set one back. But the goal is ever before us. As one ascends the hill to the goal, the desire and the intention is to keep careful watch to avoid the pitfalls, deadly injuries. With each danger avoided or traversed, lessons are learned. Endurance is enculturated into the person. As a Christian, God's intention is that we would face temptations in the world and that through facing those temptations of Satan and of the world, despite our inner desires, that God would keep us in the midst of all of it. Two, that we would learn a humble reliance upon him and not stand in our own strength because if we we stand in our own strength, we're going to fall. Thirdly, he wants us to see the the immense value of knowing and, and, and living in relationship to Jesus Christ. And help us to see that all the world holds out to us and that our inner desires so match up with that it's vanity, all of it's vanity. And it's emptiness. And it's filthy and it's wretched. And it's not ours and it should not be embraced. That we are to pursue the good and and to shun that which is evil. God's intention too is to to help us to learn how to endure when more evil days come. Now, I know that there's there's an anonymous author. I don't know who wrote this, but I know that our natural propensity as as believers is to pull people out from and, and to make an excuse and say, surely God, being holy, should not send us into or enable or permit us to face days of temptation. Why does God permit that? And we may question the wisdom of that. And surely we would say, if I were God, I would not put my people through temptation. And yet, as this anonymous author says, I would have pulled Joseph out, out of that pit, out of that prison, out of that pain. I would have cheated nations out of the one God, who, the one God would use to deliver them from famine. You, you realize that. I would have pulled David out, out of Saul's spear-throwing presence, out of the caves he hid away in, out of the pain of rejection. I would have cheated Israel out of, out of a God-hearted king who had blessed them for hundreds of years. I would have pulled Esther out, out of being snatched from her only family, out of being placed in a position she never asked for, out of the path of a vicious, power-hungry foe, and I would have cheated a people out of the woman God would use to save their very lives for generations. I would have pulled Jesus off the cross, off the road that led to suffering and pain, off of the path that would mean nakedness and beatings, nails and thorns, and I would have cheated the entire world out of a Savior, out of salvation, out of an eternity filled with no more suffering and no more pain. And the person goes on, and oh friend, I want to pull you out. I want to change your path. I want to stop your pain. But right now I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I would be cheating you, cheating the world out of so much good because God knows. He knows the good 
this pain will produce. He knows the beauty this heart will grow. He's watching over you and keeping you even in the midst of this. And he's promising you that you can trust him even when it all feels like more than you can bear. So instead of trying to pull you out, I'm going to lift you up. I'm kneeling before the Father and I'm asking him to give you strength, to give you hope. I'm asking him to protect you and to move you when the time is right. I'm asking him to help you to stay prayerful and discerning. I'm asking him how I can best love you and be a help to you. And I'm believing he's going to use your life in a powerful and beautiful way, ways that will leave your heart grateful and humbly thankful for this road that you've been on. The nature of the request, lead me not into temptation, is lead me toward the goal of God's good and away from embracing and yielding to evil. Help me to avoid sin, to not take it into my life, to not embrace it, to, or to come to love it by incremental tolerance, little by little, day by day, like the frog in the kettle. Satan tempts us to sin, and he does, he will, but God has the power to deliver us from sin, and he will if we call upon our Heavenly Father. Because our Heavenly Father loves us. We must not think that our Heavenly Father is like our earthly fathers. Many of us have come come from relationships where our fathers hurt us, harmed us, abused us, or verbally were hard and difficult upon us, who reproached us often, to whom we would approach and we would find a word of reproach, or whose fathers simply neglected us who lacked kindness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. They were not a good reflection of our Heavenly Father. Read the Bible and learn about your Heavenly Father. Look at His tender mercies. Discover His, this extraordinary love that does not and will never reject you, that will never leave nor forsake you. This Heavenly Father who will never abuse you, this Heavenly Father who desires that you and I would learn and progress toward that which is good and pursue him with all of our being, having discovered first that he loved us from all eternity. Satan tempts us to sin, but God, God provides and he wants to teach us. He, he desires to teach us. He teaches us continually throughout scripture that he will deliver us if we cry out to him. And in crying out, isn't there this explicit declaration, Lord, I am weak. Lord, I have internal desires. Lord, I am not sufficient to stand up against temptation. Lord, I will yield unless you help me. Lord, I will not be faithful to you if I'm left to my own devices. Lord, my faith is not strong enough. Help me in my weakness. Lord, I overestimate my ability to withstand temptation. But Lord, I look to you. Help me to see as I ought to see. Give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us the nature of the things that the examples of the Old Testament. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. In other words, yield to temptation. 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor, nor grumble, that's a temptation too, isn't it? Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon which upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way out of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Isn't that true? So when you're standing there in a moment, you're tempted to to lie about something or to hide something that just happened. Shouldn't we rather trust in the Lord who can keep us in the midst of that difficulty? And rather than embracing the temptation to sin, and many of us have yielded, but shouldn't we learn day after day as year after year progresses that lying and deceit, that the embrace of sin only yields that bitter that bitter distrust of God, that separation emotionally from God within our own spirit, a loss of a sense of the Father's love. Oh, how we harm ourselves by our embrace of sin. There are examples of temptation in Scripture. Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The explicit language there. To be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God's not tempting, the Father's not tempting the Son, but the Spirit is leading the Son into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why? In order to see the Savior explicitly observed as one who can withstand the temptations of Satan even as they concern specifically those things for which Christ came to bring to effect. And he would not seize upon those things, but rather follow the will of the Father perfectly, that he would save and redeem his people in the way which he intended and which he had decreed. In Genesis 22, Abraham was tempted to not place his son upon the altar of sacrifice, but God commanded him to do it, and so he obeyed God. And Hebrews 11 tells us that it was counted to him under righteousness because he obeyed the Lord. And by faith, he believed that God could raise even the dead. Abraham did not yield to temptation of sin and disobedience. How about Saul, King Saul, when faced with multiple temptations, yielded, it seems, every time, did not fully repent. And the summary at the end of his life is that Even though he sinned, he did not cry out to God, did not acknowledge his sin before him, and thus he died. And it says actually that God killed him. How about David in Psalm 51? He opened himself to temptation in 2 Samuel 11, and he committed sin, fully engaging in adultery and then murder. But Psalm 51 shows a man who is deeply humbled by his sin, repentant, confessing his sin, learning repentance, humility, something of the holiness of God, of his own depravity, inner desires, forsaking himself, and he embraces God's forgiveness and pardon.
Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Isn't that the intention of facing temptations in the world? That our Father desires that we would be disciplined for godliness. I think the most important thing about that petition that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer that he commands us to pray, deliver us from temptation and do not lead us or do not let us yield to the evil one. It's simply this, that in the petitions, we're not saying I, 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 I will, Lord, grant me the power to abstain, grant me the ability to stand. No, he's saying, Lord, you, Lord God, you, will you keep me? Will you keep me from the evil one? Will you sustain me in the day of evil and not let me be overtaken? We are confessing our inability and need and meekness and weakness, the direction of our desires for sin, and we are asking God, Him, to keep us, not expressing our our self-confidence. Oh, Lord God, I by your power I can stand. No, we're not doing that. Lord, you keep me. It's a statement of commitment. Lord, I want you. I want your good. I don't want evil. And if you'll keep me, I will stand. Spurgeon has this to say about temptation and trials. You see, God, you see, God does not put men into such positions in providence at times that they are severe. God does, pardon me. You see, God does put men into such positions in providence at times when they are severely tried. It is for their good that they are tried, and when they can stand the trial, they magnify His grace, and they themselves become stronger men and women. The test has beneficial uses when it can be borne, and God therefore does not always screen His children from it. Our Heavenly Father is never meant to cuddle us up and keep us out of temptation, for that is no part of the system which He has wisely arranged for our education. He does not mean us to be babies in go-karts all our lives. He made Adam and Eve in the garden. And he did not put an iron palisade around the tree of knowledge and say, you cannot get at it. No, he warned them not to touch the fruit. But they could reach the tree if they would. He meant that they should have the possibility of attaining the dignity of voluntary fidelity if they remained steadfast. But they lost it by their sin. And God means in his new creation not to shield his people from every kind of test and trial, for that were to breed hypocrites and to keep even the faithful weak and dwarfish. The Lord does sometimes put the chosen where they are tried, and we do right to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. So, dear friends, in conclusion, this is the call of God. Come and love him more than anything else in this world. Come and submit to him through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit and through constancy in prayer and learned endurance, may God enable you to desire him, this person, more than your own person and and being engulfed in your own desires. May God enable you to love Jesus more than self. This is why God gives you daily life. To learn in this world, to be tested in your faith, and to learn through trials and temptations that Jesus is worth endurance. That Jesus Christ is more than the pain that denying sin in the midst of trials and temptation involve. If you fail a test, Christian, 
we still have a loving God. His love never fails. He will restore you, strengthen you, renew you in his grace. And even in that, even in failure, should we not learn something when we do embrace sin and the desires of our own flesh do respond, shouldn't we remember what James will tell us in chapter 2, verse 13? For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that the God that we serve? Isn't he merciful? Doesn't his mercy triumph over his judgment where faith is evident? Where we rely on Christ, where we learn from our failures and embrace of sin and temptation, mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy is ever held out towards his children. Come and receive the mercies of God. Come and be renewed in our calling to endure and to stand against temptations. Because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And in the exercise of his will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, loved above all others, extraordinarily preserved above any other folk on the face of the earth, beloved of God. Let us stand for God in the evil day of temptation and cry out and plead with him, though polluted, O Lord, renovate us. Make us after your own will. Make us anew. Instill in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Cleanse us and plunge us deeply in the blood of Christ and wash us clean. And if you will, we will be white as snow. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.